Welcome to Club Management. I'm your host, Shannon Dawson, and you can listen to the show on all your favorite streaming platforms like SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Stitcher. Just type Club Management. Please feel free to become a part of the Club Management community too on Patreon at patreon.com slash clubmanagement1. This is episode 21. And again, I want to take this time out to say thank you so much for keeping up with me during this time. I'm literally recording these episodes out of my mother's living room. So I appreciating you putting the production value aside and really just listening to these stories because they have meant so much to me. This has been a source of therapy for me throughout this whole pandemic and losing my job and then also losing gigs as well. Um, but the bigger picture is that I have my health. I have my family, um, you know, my friends, everyone's doing quite well despite this 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 difficult time so just want to say thank you for yeah just just being a part of this journey with me and hopefully we can all heal together in this episode I wanted to start bringing my experiences with dance floors and music communities back home since I'm officially here in New York City and I'm just trying to come to terms with this new world forming right in front of my eyes the New York I once knew is changing rapidly And with the pandemic, things are drastically closing down. And some of my favorite restaurants, shops, and nightlife venues are closing down as well. When things do restore to some sort of normalcy, we are going to be left with a new way of life and a new way of thinking. And that goes for nightlife too. I wanted to break this show into two parts. You know, normally I do a bit of storytelling in between segments, but for this episode, I wanted to keep a lot of these stories intact because they're just filled with so much vital information. From a party goer's perspective, oftentimes we don't necessarily think about the tremendous amount of work that goes on behind the scenes in creating these experiences and memories that we enjoy so much at our favorite bars and clubs. Everything down to the music, the staff, and the ambiance are controlled and carefully crafted. And these experiences are created by nightlife owners and promoters. I mean, there are warriors relentlessly battling it out against New York's expensive-ass rent prices, managing rowdy bargoers, budgets, and the ever-so-wonderful noise complaints. It's not an easy job. Now things are even more difficult in the midst of the pandemic. For the first part of the show, I had a lovely chat with Rick Leichtung, who's the founder of Ad Hoc, which is a Brooklyn-based concert promotions group, and Deanna Mora, who owns Friends and Lovers in BK. They've spent years cultivating and creating events and community spaces here in New York, Rick organizes a little over a thousand events per year, and Deanna has been steering the ship over at Friends and Lovers for years, which has really been this community-driven venue in Crown Heights that focuses on the amazing emerging talent coming out of Brooklyn, and they even hire local staff too. They've both teamed up to create an organization called NYC Nightlife United, which is an emergency relief fund for nightlife and cultural spaces. And we had a really lovely chat about the work they've been doing to keep NYC Nightlife alive. Yeah, we're uh, we're knee knee deep in the fundraising process right now. Um, ultimately, the seed of the idea really really came because we tried to focus on basic universal needs for 
the folks who make nightlife happen 365 days a year. Um, and we felt that one of the most effective things out there that we could do would be to put together something specialized for people um, to get to get help and support because we just kind of felt like uh, in the midst of all the um, PPP issues, how the federal government is handling things, how the state of New York is not able to negotiate with the federal government effectively to get support. Um, we just knew that uh, we, we just felt like we would fall through the cracks mm-hmm. ultimately and that community would lose a lot of spaces and and people working in it so mm-hmm. um yeah yeah um deanna did you want to add to that point as well or no he did a great uh job summarizing <laughs> that um outside of being knee deep in fundraiser fundraising we have uh, been lucky enough to have had some really good potential partners reach out and trying to amplify our messaging so we've got um a few things in the works with regards to uh, a few live stream partnerships where people are actually going out of their way to raise money on our behalf, which we couldn't have even expected. So we're super flattered by the outpouring of support. Right. Um, prior to all of this, though, I was actually uh, doing an interview with Bowen from Mood Ring, and he was saying that it's been incredibly hard in terms of the process to get, uh, you know, a small business loan or even to enroll in PPP for staff. Can you talk about how difficult the process has been for you in particular, Deanna, because you, you own a club, yeah? Yes, so we did receive the PPP. We are in line for the SBA idle loan, mm-hmm. which has, you know, supposed to have been triggered within three days of application. It's now six weeks. Right. So allegedly we're still in the queue. So that may or may not come. So uh, we don't really know, but we don't have a formal denial. The PPP was pretty uh, strenuous of a process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked through a, diff- a few different avenues to be able to get that. Right. Uh, the more intimidating factor is making sure you're using it correctly. And that's where it gets really dicey because we're expected to use it for uh, to keep people on payroll when we don't really exactly have jobs right Uh, so uh, luckily for us we have made the decision to pivot to all online content so we have on like content creators Um, the only issue is the ppp doesn't cover the additional federal taxes that you're supposed to cover, mm-hmm. any payroll fees. So I'm still coming out of pocket on top of that. Wow. And with the 75-25% rule, you're only allowed mm-hmm. to use 25% for utilities and rent. When I do that, it only really covers like one at the most, and it's stretching at one month worth of rent wow. and one month of utilities, which we're now almost three and a half months into this, so it's it's not it's not ideal, and it, it, I call it the golden handcuffs. Mm. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, specifically like zeroing on so zeroing in on how the PPP loan doesn't really work for a lot of live music businesses is really because like you know ultimately it's calculated by the number of employees that you have on your. Uh, on your payroll in a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that the these operations are, they operate really, really lean. 
with very, very few people. I mean, our staff is, you know, we're like four. I mean, right now we're we're really low. We only have three people, four people on payroll. But before it was eight. And uh, even then, just the number of events that we had to produce and the sheer amount of things that we worked on, um, it's, just, yeah. it's just so much, even for eight people. And you mix that in with how the amount that your um, your event is determined for the TPP. And then you also mix in the high rent of New York City. And it's just, it's not, it's not an equation that that ends up really helping us it's not enough the forgiveness rules are not um don't cater to our industry where mm -hmm. we're the first ones to close and will very likely be the very last to open right um right right so <laughs> yeah yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty scary and the other thing is like to rick's point we are always like any Something always happens when you have a venue, like a big machine breaks. Mm -hmm. uh, DOB decides to come in and tell you that you're not compliant because they changed some secret rule and you have to rebuild the door. Like literally these are the things that come up. Mm -hmm. And so finally for me as a business, we're like, okay, we see the light. We're about to, we had the biggest quarter we've ever had and we were so excited. And then this hit mm -hmm. and now we're expected to take out a big loan to make sure we're okay. Wow. wow like the last thing i wanted was more debt yeah seriously yeah. um oh my god that's uh, yeah things seem very very bleak and also what i really appreciate about the instagram page that you guys are curating um you're giving out really interesting statistics on there and what really kind of put things in perspective to me was that you know the nyc nightlife industry has a third uh, 35 billion economic impact and i'm just going right. off of you know from 2016's data where you guys wrote that the nightlife industry supported 299,000 uh, uh, jobs with 13.1 billion in employee compensation and 35.1 billion in total economic output. When you think about how that is in terms of what's happening now, it's just crazy because I don't think a lot of people who, you know, come out to dance at parties think about the work that goes on behind this to make their experience fun, right? Like you have to think about costs, you have to think about security, bartenders, uh, other staff supporting. So yeah, this is, this feels really strange and really tough at the moment, but I'm, I know that there's going to be some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I want to talk about for when that time does come and things do return to some sort of normalcy. Have you guys been thinking about what you are planning to do in terms of health and safety for folks? Because that's also been another thing that we have to kind of tackle. Uh, I mean, basically, we don't. No, nobody has any choice but to wait uh, and be told what the uh, local guidelines are going to be to have gatherings over a certain number of people. Mm -hmm. um, there's so much speculation. Um, there's, you know, there's talking to a lot of, uh, like, booking agents who are like, oh, you know, will you be able to have, you anticipate having um, thermometers at the door and um, mm -hmm. all this other stuff, which is, you know, honestly, like, a valid 
these are valid questions that I yeah. <laughs> that I never say like oh yeah that's <laughs> that's not gonna happen but ultimately it's, it's just uh, it's funny because the the impact that the uh, virals will have which will be ongoing after things somewhat normalized or all of the extra expenses that it's going to take to operate uh, safely mm, uh, right and and also not being in a position where we're not able to sell as many tickets drinks or, or really do as much business as we should be doing right. or could be doing right. Um, right. so yeah it's, it's tough I don't know how is friends and lovers handling it uh, we are not dealing with it right now Um, there are a few things things that you know it's counterintuitive to be called friends and lovers and expect that we have to social distance people inside Uh, it's just not going to happen right in fact i want it to be so safe that i can have a hugging station and we can actually hug a little bit longer when you come in (laughs) so um the reality of it is i can't turn and not in my neighborhood we you know i do think that we are the connection uh, point between you know i'm a native new yorker so is my partner um we are the connection point between the gentrifying neighborhood and the existing community and to uh, put a level of restriction on top of that just feels like another version of over policing and i just i cannot in good conscience feel like that that's going to be okay mm-hmm. um and so there is a movement within uh nightlife to just hit a complete snooze button on nightlife until we can open normally mm-hmm. um there's also the other conversation of can the city help us find larger spaces mm. or outdoor spaces so that we can just let people roam around freely and they have the space that they need um you know our layout is so narrow like it just it's going to be really problematic and i'm i am concerned about that and hoping that mm, this somehow there's some solution that just makes sense for everyone and we open the doors one day and it's fine (laughs) i know i'm in denial (laughs) (laughs) but it's good it's good to to be optimistic during this time because it's it's everything is going to be okay um we just got to get through this rough point for uh first you know um and i want to say i really have been loving the live streams that have been going on on friends and lovers instagram uh it's been great like i always tune into like uh dj i believe her name is monday blue Monday Blue, yeah. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah, yes. she's, she's incredible, really fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, I appreciate that. When things do return to uh, you know a sunnier time for us, what is one change that you want to see happen in nightlife? You know, there's always been some things that we need to change, right? Um, what are some right. things that you want to see changed when we come out on the other side? Um, I guess I'd like to see. I, I think that uh, something that will come from this is a more is a community that's that's more focused on working with each other rather than separately. I think mm. uh, it's even though everybody is doing what they're doing um, really for the love of it because mm. there isn't really much money to be had in the first place. Mm. Uh, you still have a lot of people who are working independently. Um, and not and not together. And ultimately, I'm, I'm I'm hoping to see the nightlife community just kind of c- come together a little bit more, help each other. And I'm also hopeful that um, you know uh, more more people will understand the difficulty of of doing what we do, and will kind of 
connect with with their businesses and with businesses that they uh, that they support in like in a meaningful way, uh, rather than just like oh some club, some promoter, some right. some artist, but somebody that they really have an ongoing supportive relationship with. Right, right, right. Indiana, anything yeah. for you? I I couldn't I I echo Rick's sentiment. I do love the sense of community. Would love to continue this uh, after the pandemic and really have everyone um, who have learned to respect one another during these times to continue and to affect change. Mm -hmm. Because I you know we we talk about nightlife culture and how it influences every aspect of art. Uh, fashion uh, brands steal from it consistently mm -hmm. um, so how do we now try to equalize that a little bit more how do we make everyone that works within nightlife um, afford a better lifestyle too so I think that the bigger conversation is the, the how do we shift the economy so that we're never in this position again for the second half of the show, we speak to Bowen Go, who runs Mood Ring, alongside his business partner, Vanessa Lee. It's a little gem tucked away in Bushwick on Myrtle Ave, which has become a vital space for Brooklyn's LGBTQ creative and music scene. Pull up to the bar and you're instantly enchanted with this colorful array of lights and quirky decor. If you head to the back, there's this hazy little dance floor with great music pumping out of the speakers on any given night. The bar has been around for two years now, and its inspiration all started with a trip to Berlin. Bowen walks us through the history. So what we found in Berlin was that there's all these like small bars and clubs that are made by people that were passionate about that one singular project, and they were making do with what they had on hand in a way, right? So um, after the fall of Berlin Wall, there were all these kind of um, you know abandoned spaces. Um, whether, you know, we're talking about like, you know, Bergheim, for example, used to be a power plant, I believe. Mm. Um, there's another club out there that used to be a television store. Um, so essentially they're adapting all these previous spaces into something that was new. And, you know, even though they're appropriating as a club, they were still maintaining a lot of the, the old aesthetics and spirits of what was in that space before. Mm. So we ended up at a bar in Kreuzberg. Um, it's called Roses. Um, mm. It's a cute little gay bar. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, I would describe it, you know, as a German bear bar. So these like massive, you know, hairy German gay guys <laughs> just kind of crowded into this tiny bar. Yeah. Um, but it's beautiful inside. So they had like red fur walls, red lame on the ceilings. They had, you know, chandeliers. Mm -hmm. They had, you know, portraits of like Madonna. And, and we just thought interior design wise is really beautiful and you know when we looked at it it was like this this isn't you know this is doable like this this doesn't look like it would cost you know a million dollars to to build you know a little space like this right so um vanessa my business partner turned to me and, and she said hey we should we should open a bar right and we had no experience when it came to um nightlife other than being you know a normal patron of going to bars going to clubs going to parties whatever it might be right. you know we weren't djs we weren't you know previous you know prom party promoters or, or or you know club owners whatever it might be um whereas you'll see a lot of that in nightlife like the people that 
do run and own spaces there. Right. At the very least, they've been, you know, bartenders before. They've been party promoters before. They've been DJs before, whatever it might be. Mm. Um, and so in a way, we were outsiders, um, which helped and hurt us in a few ways. Obviously, you know, when you don't have the experience of doing something like this, um, you you, you kind of have to dive in, figure it out, and make as many mistakes as you can. Right. Um, the upside of, of what we did where we came from, you know, without a background in this, is that we were so naive that we could just, we thought we could just do it. Um, and that kind of gave us a lot of the confidence and courage because we just didn't know whether or not we could do it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we went to uh, Berlin in December of 2016, and we said, fuck it, let's open a bar. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in January 2017, so a month later, okay. uh, we started working on the project uh, February 2017. So two months after we decided to uh, do the project, we found a space. And the first space we ever looked at is where Mood Ring currently is on Myrtle Avenue. Mm. Um, and then we, you know, build out wise, uh, a lot of places were rejecting us saying like, oh, like, the budget that you have is, is just not conceivable slash not worth it for us to work on this project. Mm. Um, so eventually we started reaching out uh, to some local bars and we spoke to Rebecca's, um, which is a bar um, in that area. It's, it's, it's on Bushwick Ave. Mm -hmm. um, and originally we liked that space. Um, it's a much smaller space. I would say probably 600 square feet or something like that. Mm -hmm. And we're like, hey, can we buy your bar and build our own bar? And uh, the owners there, Adam and Rebecca, uh, they said, no, we're not going to say this bar. But, you know, she is an architect and he is this, you know, kind of DIY construction guru. So uh, we agreed for them to do to kind of lead the build out, uh, which is what they did. Mm -hmm. So we found the space in February and we started building it out. And there were, you know, a number of landlord related delays. But essentially, we got the place open in September. September. So from mm. planning stage to opening, that was, you know, an eight month period, uh, which was very quick. Um, right. And Vanessa and I, you know, we essentially quit our full time jobs that summer and, and started working on this project and, and we got it going. Oh, my goodness. But I mean, like to talk about that, like not having any experience prior to this of running a club that had to have been nerve wracking in itself. You know, for me, if I'm not really knowledgeable about something, I get nervous about even trying to formulate words to express how I want people to support my idea. So how did you, I guess, find that courage within yourself to do that? Yeah, well, well, the main thing is, you know, I had the privilege of a safety net in a way where I, I knew that if I failed in this venture, mm -hmm. I could go back to my previous job and, and do that for a while. I didn't hate my previous job. It just wasn't something I was particularly passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, so having that safety net was definitely, you know, a nice um, boost in courage for me. Um, another part of, you know, as I mentioned, not having the knowledge of whether or not we could truly do this or not um, was really, you know, if, if we fail, you know, in a way that's what is supposed to happen, you know, whereas whereas in other cases, there essentially there wasn't a whole lot of pressure for us to fail or succeed. Um, the biggest pressure was really, you know, I put my life savings in this project. Oh and if, if this doesn't work out, I have to go back to something that, you know, I'm not particularly passionate about. Um, but that's worst case, right? right? Best case is, you know, I, I fall into something and create something that, you know, her and I really felt like we put ourselves into and, and uh, represented us in a lot of ways and, and felt like we were bringing something that 
you know, potentially we felt was missing in, in this exact way in the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so really like having other people that we would started working with. So sp- specifically like Adam and Rebecca, who, you know, had, had owned a number of businesses in the area who helped guide us through the process in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, what was a big learning curve is, you know, New York, maybe relative to other cities, maybe relative to cities across, you know, the world, essentially, um, there's a lot of agencies that you have to deal with, right? So mm-hmm. we're talking about the SLA, which is the State Liquor Authority, FDNY, uh, DOB, Department of Buildings, um, Department of Labor, uh, Department of Health. Uh, essentially, you have all these forms that you have to you have to process, all these all this paperwork that you have to do. Yeah, you have to make sure you know all your licenses are are in line and and two things that go along with that. One is you know one you have to make sure everything is you know, sign and data correctly to you, everything costs money, right? So to file any kind of application, Mm -hmm. uh, to get any kind of permit, um, that costs money. So those are things that, you know, you could budget, you know, X amount of money to, to get your project jump started. But if you're trying to do that in New York, it's going to cost way more than you think. Mm, Yeah. That's a, it's a difficult process, but one that you stayed tried and true to and you, I mean, you believed in the process, so to speak. So it definitely paid off and mood Mm. ring has been open now for two years, right? Uh, yes. So two, about two and a half years, we're hitting a three year, uh, in September. Um, obviously I didn't expect, you know, when I, when I entered into the business, I, I'd like to consider myself a positive person, but realistically, I was like, you know, I know most businesses fail. I know, especially because we had never done anything like this before. Mm-hmm. There was a good chance that we would fail. So my joke was like, okay, if we make it to one year, I'd be really happy. And, mm-hmm. you know, and one night I was I was telling my staff right when we opened, hey, if we hit our five-year anniversary, I'm taking everyone to Mexico. We're going on a nice trip. <laughs> Not realistically thinking that it would ever happen, but now, you know, a you know, two, three months from now, we'll, we'll hit our three year anniversary. And, um, you know, it, it's very surprising, but, uh, at the same time is, it, it was just really, really difficult work that I wouldn't particularly recommend to people unless you're really passionate about yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's talk about now where we're at because the future of nightlife is looking really bleak at the moment in, around the world and in NYC with this, you know, virus really setting things back for everyone. What's happening now with Mood Ring? Um, what are you guys doing in terms of getting relief out of this situation? Yeah, when, when uh, people talk about, you know, this shutdown and what it means and what kind of help, uh, you know, small businesses can get, um, really the only thing that matters, you know, to, to, to have people get through this pandemic from a fall, small business standpoint is money, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it comes to mo- the most people's, you know, biggest overhead, that's going to be rent. And when it comes to rent, you know, these are individual transactions that you have with your landlord. So all these small businesses are going to the landlords and saying, okay, you know, can I, can I be forgiven rent? Can you push out rent? Mm -hmm. The problem with, you know, what's going on now is that a lot of small businesses are going to a landlord and landlord is saying, okay, I understand, you know, you're not making any money right now. Mm -hmm. Let's push out rent and you can, you can pay like, you know, half now, 25% now, uh, and the remainder due when you're open. The problem with that is no one really knows what, you know, New York or any place is really going to look like once we reopen when you're considering, you know, you're at reduced capacity, you have to do social distancing. Um, And we're talking about like a a percentage of the volume that 
businesses are used to previously. And especially when it comes to a business like a restaurant, when the margin is so low, um, it's difficult to reopen be, be have your have your income reduced by x amount and you have to essentially pay back all the debt that is now owed to your landlord because mm. uh, they didn't forgive rent they just pushed out your your rent due essentially mm. um so in terms of what we can do you know reduce your overhead so cut as many bills as you can mm. um certain things like i mentioned rent and insurance are going to be you know, those are things you can't really cancel. Everything else when it comes to, you know, your utilities are going to be heavily reduced. Um, any kind of rental of equipment like dishwashers or whatever it might be, uh, that stuff you can kind of push out. Um, when it comes to what the government, you know, city and federal are offering in terms of um, aid here. Mm -hmm. um, so the main one that, you know, people were kind of looking at was this loan called the PPP loan, uh, payment uh, payroll protection program. And what it is, is they take a look at uh, your last year's payroll and they take a month of it. Mm. So let's say, for example, last year, it, last year, your average payroll per, per month was $10,000, for example. Mm. Uh, they take two and a half months of that. Right. So in this example, it's twenty five thousand dollars. They give you that money and it's considered a low interest loan. Um, but uh, they do have you do have an ability to have it forgiven, which means you don't have to pay back. But you have to, you know, kind of jump through these hoops, right? So mm. uh, most of it has to be used for payroll. Um, you have to hire the same amount of employees that you had pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's difficult for businesses um, because you have to use this money before the end of June. But, you know, bars in New York are not going to be open before the end of June, mm -hmm. right? So it's difficult for a lot of businesses to utilize this funding because how are you supposed to pay your people, especially if they're making more money on unemployment, if you know, one, you can't even open, and two, you have to use up all this money before the end of June. Otherwise, you have to pay back, right? Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of these funds, you know, I, I think part of it is is it was these bills were so rushed, and they just didn't have the foresight to be able to figure out like, okay, this is these these are the stipulations that we have that'll support as many businesses as possible. Right. And number two, you know, I government whether whether especially federal you know their interests they will say it's small businesses but really a lot of these bills are going to help out big businesses mm -hmm. uh, that have many locations that already have a lot of uh, money that they, they they can use to fund themselves through this pandemic um, so essentially a lot of these small businesses are on their own and wow. you know I'm, I'm in a group chat with a lot of local business owners and there have been many discussions about okay how do we use you know the government aid um, to support us through this pandemic and, and a lot of places are kind of having difficulty and they're saying, you know what, I'm not even going to use this money because I'm going to have to pay it back and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's just not worth it for me right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of businesses are going to shut down oh, because okay. of this pandemic. Um, but I will say they're the, the kind of leeway that people have is knowing, you know, everyone is in the same boat right so if you go to your landlord and your landlord says no fuck you i want you to pay full rent right now right. realistically if you you know if you vacate the premises take all your stuff out and uh you know it's an empty space and they have to rent it out again mm -hmm. it's going to take them six months to a year to find another tenant right because no one is trying to open a small business right now mm -hmm. uh, especially kind of in the in the bar restaurant realm uh -huh. um so you essentially go to your landlord and you say okay if if they tell you hey you need to pay all your rent right now you say okay if i vacate right now 
I'll pay you what I have. And then, you know, it's going to take you a year to find a tenant to start paying rent in this space. Jeez. Whereas right now I can, I can, you know, pretty much say that within six months I can start paying rent again, whatever that might be. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I see that you guys were also doing some sort of like gift cards where if you buy a gift card, then um, people could use that when you do reopen to get some goodies at the bar, which I thought was a really cool idea. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we started doing gift cards and then a, a percentage of that uh, would be going to our staff. And we also had a little fund set up um, specifically for our staff. So luckily we were able to cut, you know, a, most of our overhead. And so mm. we really want to focus any kind of, you know, financial aid um, mm. from from the community directed towards us, directed really towards our staff members. Right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the future for Mood Ring and just nightlife in general in NYC and kind of the safety measures that should be taken when we do return to the dance floor. Um, I was speaking to a lot of buddies in China and they're saying that, you know, in order for people to come on the dance floor, they need to take your temperature first. You have to scan this like fancy QR code that lets them know where you've been in the last 14 days and like they've just got like a whole system already going over there um i'm wondering have you guys been thinking about what are the safety precautions that you need to take in order you know to keep everybody safe for when you do return yeah so you know i i i would think realistically that kind of you know forehead temperature check gun is a realistic thing mm-hmm. uh when it comes to I, I i don't know the full specifics but as you mentioned the, the qr code kind of contact tracing mm-hmm. uh i would be very surprised if new york city was able to implement that on a you know efficient basis yeah. to be totally honest yeah. um but i will say realistically you know when it comes to even right now, when it comes to, you know, supermarkets and, and takeout restaurants that are open, you know, they have these long lines out the door and inside there's there's limited capacity um, and, you know, social distancing when it comes to the lines. And, you know, they have, you know, if you go down an aisle in a supermarket, they'll, they might have arrows. So like, OK, you can only go down this way in one direction just to make sure that the flow of people uh, uh, are distancing themselves, essentially. Uh, so when it comes to bars and, and nightclubs, you know, honestly, the nightclubs, especially on the larger side, are going to have a really difficult time. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be surprised if they are able to open, you know, this year, to be totally honest. Mm. Um, when it comes to what it looks like for a space like us, uh, a smaller, smaller bar space, um, you know, realistically, they're going to have some kind of capacity restriction uh, right when they reopen. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, right when we shut down, there was a 50 percent capacity restriction. So I'm assuming that's going to be uh, what's going to happen once we are able to open mm-hmm. um, 50. So at 50 percent capacity, you know, uh, there's going to be a line at the door, especially on weekends. Um, you know, I can't really predict how people are going to react to this. Right. So. You know, my feeling is that New Yorkers, people that move to New York, they they're trying to they're trying to party. You know, so like <laughs> yeah. I, I still think people will go out, uh, maybe more than you know. I used to live in Oakland and, and San Francisco, and and the party culture there, I would say, is is not is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of spaces, most spaces, they're closed at two a.m. Uh, same with LA. Um, so the party culture is different here. People really generally love to stay out, you know, especially on weekends, uh, all night if possible. Mm-hmm. So I do think some of that will come back, especially with people, you know, being cooped up for so long. Um, 
when it comes to what we're going to be doing on the inside, you know, when you go to a lot of these takeout restaurants, they'll have, you know, like a piece of, of uh, you know, acrylic or plastic covering the cashier, you know, mm. blocking the cashier from the customer. Right. Um, so we'll probably kind of probably have to build something like that to kind of protect our staff members. Um, I think I, I do like, you know, the um, the plastic face masks that people have been wearing, the kind of like plastic shields, you know, yeah. um, because that allows you to, you know, people to still see your face essentially and and you're blocking a lot of um the you know potential droplets going going around right um so you know plastic shields uh plastic coverings there's definitely going to be a line at the door um in terms of social distancing you know for certain uh spaces like our own uh where there's you know right when you walk in there's a you know small I would say thin hallway walking uh, straight back to the dance floor. Mm. It's going to be difficult, you know, yes. if people are just walking by each other to say, oh, like you have to walk by this person with six right. feet when realistically there's really not six feet to, to walk past another person in our particular space. Mm. Um, but you kind of just have to do what you can, you know, so you have to make sure that pe- when people are coming in, that at the very least not showing any kind of symptoms. Uh, and if they are, you just have to recommend them you know, to go home, you know, if there is a long line outside, people are really going to have to determine for themselves if, if it's worth it for them to go inside and wait in line. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when it comes to parties, you know, is it worth it to throw a party or are we allowed to have a party, uh, especially specifically when we're allowed to open again? Uh, I don't have that answer. I would say probably they'll allow DJs, but at the same time, the main thing is, you know, are you restricting how many people are inside your bar? Mm-hmm. And what are you doing to make sure that people are distancing properly? Uh, so the best thing that we can do is really protect our staff and kind of make recommendations to people. Right. Um, you know, make sure that the place is as clean as possible. Um, you know, they're saying now that the, the, the biggest way that people are, you know, transferring COVID um, is person to person, not necessarily, you know, surface to person. Mm -hmm. Um, So really person to person is going to be that main focus, Um, you know, until they find a vaccine, which who knows when that could be, could be end of this year, could be next year, could be, you know, way longer than that, to be totally honest. Um, So when it comes to returning to normalcy, uh, I, I, I just don't think anyone properly has an answer. We can really just open. If we open and it turns out that, you know, we're not making or losing money, uh, which is potentially what's going to happen to a lot of these businesses. And, you know, they're yeah. really just kind of call it, call it a day, which is, um, really sad, but unfortunately that's, that's just that's the reality. Kind of the of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Oh my God. That just made me so sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, wrapping up here, um, you know, I, I would like to think that there's some light at the end of the tunnel and essentially a lot of folks that I've also been interviewing has been saying that while this has been extremely rough, it's also been a hard reset for a lot of folks to sit with themselves and rethink, you know, how they want to approach ideas differently for when things do return to normalcy. Um, and I'm sure that, I mean, there's always been some, uh, you know, things that we just need to change in general. And that doesn't even go just for the nightlife industry. That's just everything, right? Um, what do you want to see done differently when things do go back to normal in nightlife? Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think the main thing is essentially once this thing happened, people realized how unprotected we were. So all these small businesses were realizing, okay, I really only have 
you know, a month or two amount of cash put away to, to support myself. And this thing is going to last, you know, six months more, whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, to go along with that, staff members, uh, DJs, um, you know, bouncers, like all these people that worked in nightlife, none of us had a safety net, right? Mm. And, and when it came to uh, us, you know, in a way, just like praying that the government would do something for us. And it turns out that, you know, the, the help wasn't really there for for most businesses in, in this industry. Mm. Um you know, the only other option is, okay, what, what do you have to support yourself if things go bad? Uh, and the main thing is, okay, one, do you have an alternate source of income? Mm -hmm. Uh, and two, do you have, you know, you know, best case scenario, you have a sugar daddy who just pays for all your shit, (laughs) you know, specifically when it comes to business, it's just like, you know, a silent business partner with like a lot of money who's able to support you if need be and and they take their percentage or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So the main thing is when people, you know, when we hopefully exit this thing soon, um, people have to reevaluate, you know, what they're doing with their money and what they're doing to potentially, you know, help out their staff if need be. So, you know, most small businesses, at least in our realm, uh, you know, you, you don't really have a 401k or like some kind of retirement plan for your staff members or pension or anything like that, just because quite honestly, there's, there's not enough money. Right. And mm-hmm. they're, they're all working part time. Right. Um, but I do think that businesses can do something, you know, uh, you know, a lot of these kind of 401ks, they kick in after two or three years. So a lot of these businesses, they could set something like that up just to help out, you know, staff. Uh, because they're really the ones that are getting hit the hardest mm-hmm. um, when it comes to what businesses can do. I, I do think that, you know, if there was an opportunity to diversify somehow and not have all your funds come from in-person transactions, which is exactly what we are. Uh, mm-hmm. And because once your in-person transactions are cut off, you have to figure out what to do. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's difficult specifically for bars and clubs uh, to do something about this. Unfortunately, for something like a club, when you're talking about an operation that, you know, is so expensive, you have a lot of staff members, rent is extremely high. Mm-hmm. Um, it's difficult. So even if even if a club started started to do like takeout food, they're not going to cover their overhead, right? Mm. Um, and unfortunately, the reality is for a lot of people, you know, you know, I've I've heard a lot of DJs potentially figuring out like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I'll I'll take maybe I'll learn a new skill and decide to, you know, take on a, take on a new field, whatever right. that might be. Um, it's unfortunate that people have to even think in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is really, it's just so expensive to live in New York. Uh, there's not a whole lot of government aid. Uh, and so you have to kind of figure out all these, you know, problems out on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, just like we're doing right now, we, you know, no one's telling us, okay, here's, here's how you should negotiate with your landlord. Here's money that you can spend. Uh, to cover overhead for right now. Here's how you talk to your insurance company to, you know, kind of push out or reduce your payments for right now. Um, a lot of these small businesses and people are kind of left out on their own. And, you know, even with unemployment, uh, luckily my staff members were able to get through pretty much in March. Mm. But, you know, we have people who applied, you know, and I'm hearing people who applied in March that are still waiting for their unemployment now, you know, Jesus. talking about people with uh, who are living paycheck to paycheck who haven't 
gotten any kind of money for like two months, right. you know, and, and they're, they're really struggling right now. So what I also would like to see is, uh, you know, some kind of community that's set up, you know, I, I might not be the best person to set it up, but in terms of community, when something like this happens, you know, it'd be great to have one resource where, you know, here's, here's all the potential places you can donate to, whether it's to venues, to, you know, uh, staff members of venues, uh, to DJs, um, here's, you know, what you can do if you want to donate supplies, whether it's masks or food or whatever. Right. Um, and here's, you know, here's a, a list of like, you know, different, you know, whatever Zoom dance parties that are going on right now. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think if there were, I mean, there is a really strong sense of community and in a way a lot of people have been doing that, but it would be helpful um, just to have some, some, I would say, more organization in, in this realm. Hmm. Oh, quickly, I forgot to mention. Um, what about your sister club, Heaven in Las Vegas? How is how is that keeping afloat? And it just opened recently. So it opened on Valentine's Day. Yeah. You know, we we were busting our asses. You know, eighty hours a week for three months to get this place open. We got it done really quickly, and oh. you know, the entire team there did a great job. So we opened in, in on Valentine's Day this year, mm-hmm. and we shut down a month after that because Jesus. of because of COVID. Um, that one, you know, is honestly a bit tougher uh, mm-hmm. just because we didn't really have, you know, money set aside for a rainy day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're working really, you know, as I mentioned previously, you have to go to your landlord and you have to say, okay, yeah, like if, if you want to kick me out, you can start doing that, but you're not going to find another tenant for a year. And so it's beneficial for us to kind of work together and see what we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so for that one, we've been going back and forth with the landlord, which is the, the main kind of uh, expense there. And, um, I, I think we will make it there. That one, that one was kind of up in the air for a while, but mm-hmm. I think we will be fine there to reopen. Okay. Um, the main thing for last spaces is what, what is, you know, what is normal going to look like once we are allowed to open, um, for that one, you know, I think there's a lot of potential there just because it's, it, it is big and mooring. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we were able to have, you know, a nice budget set aside for the aesthetic of it, you know, so the bar back is really beautiful. Right. Um, the, um, the DJ booth is really beautiful and we just spent a lot of time on specifically the aesthetics of the space. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would have been, you know, quite honestly, big shame to like have to shut that one down for good. Yeah. Um, you know, these projects, when, when you're in it, you're just kind of in a way like manic, right? So you're just working nonstop 80 hours a week. You just wake up and you start working and then you go to bed exhausted. And Aww. like that is your life for like three months. Yeah. Uh, and so to do a project like that and then uh, be forced to shut down a month after opening was, you know, disappointing, of course. Um, but I'm glad we were able to do that. We were able to say like, okay, we, we could do, you know, like moodering is not an only thing, right? So when it came to for us, you know, as I mentioned, like a lot of people will have to relook at, you know, where the income that they have, whether personally and for the businesses come from. Mm-hmm. And the idea is really, you know, people need to diversify. Right. So like mm-hmm. in this particular case, it wasn't diversification. You know, I, I open a bar and then I open another bar and both these bars are shut down right now. Right. right. But if I had opened a bar and, you know, opened a totally different kind of business that was allowed to be open right now. Um, you know, I wouldn't be worrying about like, you know, dealing with landlords as much. I wouldn't have to worry about like, you know, needing the government support that, you know, a lot of businesses need right now. Um, which, you know, it's it's unfortunate, you know, it's unfortunate and and quite honestly for people to be, 
to to have the opportunity to work on another income stream is a privilege mm. um, that you know not everyone has, right? So if you're, for example, if you're a bartender and you're working 40 hours a week, you don't necessarily have the privilege to be working on a side gig that potentially will support you if you know a pandemic like this occurs again, right? Yeah. Um, so I think the main thing is that uh, people have to, well, specifically me, I learned. I have to be okay with letting go if that is is what happens, right? So when you open a business, it's a big risk. And so if if I ha- if I'm forced to shut down, I can't really feel bad for myself, nor would I want anyone to feel bad for me because you know that's part of the risk of opening businesses. Mm. Most likely, at some point, you will shut down uh, for good. Um, mm. And so that's something that I had to come to terms with. You know, probably year two of Moodring, I was just like, you know, if if around that time i mean there was there's a cafe called civil service cafe mm-hmm. um in Bed-Stuy. and uh, in broad daylight this car crashes into the cafe like the storefront oh my god um, i believe i don't believe anyone died but someone lost their leg i want to say Jesus. and the cafe was just shut down for good and that was just a car randomly crashed into your business in broad daylight and now you're done oh and god. these kind of things they could just happen whatever that might be you know if, if there's you know, for example, the same thing had happened to us or, you know, you know, something even worse, like potentially someone, you know, getting killed somehow at, at your space. Yeah. Uh, these are just real, you know, things that could potentially happen that, you you know, if that happens, you just have to call it a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that was something that I realized, like when it comes to nightlife where you're putting, you know, all these people on alcohol and who knows what else into a space and you know for the most part people are sweet and kind to each other and they're there for the right reasons they're mm. there to dance and meet people whatever it be yeah. um but you know there's gonna be a small subsect of people that are there uh you know they're that are just have whatever personalities they have and, and they're there to cause trouble right yeah, so yeah. uh so poten- essentially potential for volatility is there and you know if something bad happens and you're forced to shut down that's just what it is uh, and there's a lot of agencies on your ass to like make sure you're following everything correctly. So mm-hmm. you know NYPD, FDNY, uh, Department of Health, all these all these uh, agencies are making sure that you're doing anything right, everything right. And if you do one thing wrong, they're coming after your ass, right? Right. Um, so specifically, you know what I'm mentioning here is, you know who who knows like who knows what. You know, a lot of these a lot of these businesses are going to do after, you know, we are allowed to reopen. I am very you know, lucky to have been able to open these two businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say realistically, you know, I can't predict whether or not, you know, we're going to make through the next two years. If thing doesn't subside, essentially. Oh, my goodness. I don't even want to think about that's that. OK. <laughs> that's my point, that, that it's OK. And, and yeah. you know, the main thing is that people have to realize is, you know, I keep mentioning this word privilege because I, I just feel very, I do feel very lucky to be in the position that I'm in where, okay, I have my health, I have, yeah. you know, have my family um, and, you know, the two businesses that we've opened are still doing okay for right now. Mm. And, you know, our main concern really is, okay, what can we do for our staff members? What we can do for the, for the community right now? Yeah. Um, because those really, that's really where I want to put my focus right now. So we're coming out of both of these really wonderful stories with Deanna, Rick, and Bowen. 
And while there still seems to be this glimmer of hope on the horizon, we really need to make sure that we can protect these spaces for when things do reopen. And if you can donate in any way possible, I know everyone would greatly appreciate this. Uh, Mood Ring has Cash App and Venmo. You can send a donation to them directly. Uh, that's dollar sign Mood Ring NYC or on Venmo Mood Ring NYC. And if you'd like to donate to the NYC Nightlife United organization, you can. You can find them on their website, nycnightlifeunited.com. I'm going to have all that information listed at the bottom of the show. Please make sure you donate. You know, for me, these cultural spaces are so important because. Um, you know, they give you an identity to actually see yourself, um, and see others who look like you and especially for our LGBTQ community, our black and brown community. It's important that we have these spaces to be able to find our identity, explore, create communities where we can, um, empower each other and bring change. These Spaces like Mood Ring and like Friends and Lovers are often the hubs where we are able to create events. We are able to create little organizations and labels that we can all organize, strategize and mobilize to create change for the future. Beyond that, now there's a whole lot of people without work because nightlife has been put on pause. Think about those people that need to be able to pay for rent. Some of these folks rely on this money working behind the bar, working at security, or maybe they're a sound and light tech um, that have no other form of income at this point and they need to provide for their families. So that's two really important issues. That's why you should care, you know. And if you can donate it will be our best bet at making sure that these spaces still exist for when we come out on the sunnier side of things. On that note, that is the end for this show. Thank you so much for listening to episode 21. If you'd like to follow me on Instagram or Twitter, you can at Shannon1DJ. Um, you can also feel free to donate to the Patreon patreon.com slash club management one exciting news we have an instagram account for club management now i don't know why i've been putting this off but we have one finally please follow us at club underscore management on instagram i'm going to be sharing some you know more content about the show little tidbits about me and things that i just find interesting about the music community so please 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 follow us over there as well until next time, folks.